sermon and those that are here and those that are going to be watching online and listening to this. I thank you even now for your precious Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that we're locked in and focused to the word of the Lord. I thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear and good soil of hearts and minds and lives as you speak through me your word as living seeds of truth sown into good soil watered by the Holy Spirit it will take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, we thank you for it right now. We believe it. We expect it. The winds of your spirit is carrying this out among the nations, and your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we agree together, anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this, the birds of the air try to steal the seed, we agree together and we bind it now. In Jesus' name, you will back off away from this word. I thank you, Lord, that it will go where it's supposed to. It will accomplish everything it's supposed to, that your Holy Spirit is moving upon this word. And we thank you, Lord, for tonight in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you for just through me speaking what needs to be spoken. And help us, Lord, that this series that we're getting into will bring encouragement and it will also bring understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I believe this word tonight will encourage you. And how many know sometimes we need an encouraging word from the Lord? We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 1.18, and I'm just basically going to share this one scripture and then share what God's given me. Um, but 1 Timothy 1.18 says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previous, previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. So Timothy, if you really read what Paul was saying, it, break it out and read all of it, Paul was saying to him, listen, whenever we laid hands and prayed over you and we released you in the ministry, he said there were some prophetic words that were spoken over you that were from the Lord. And you need to bring those back to your remembrance. You need to know what you're called to see and you need to, by that, fight a good fight. And so we know the fight is a fight of faith, isn't it? So how many have had words over them? See, I want you to think about it tonight. And I know, again, and I want to say this on the recording, not every word is from the Lord. So you need to make sure that what God has given you is really from him. And if it is, though, then it is the word of the Lord over you. And you need to wage a good war to see that thing come to pass. So how do you do that? Well, you have to pray it through and you have to believe it. And you have to keep speaking, Lord, I thank you that this thing is happening. And you might have to bind the enemy that's trying to hinder it. But it is a, a warfare because the enemy wants to stop what God wants to do. And I think many times these words that the devil's kingdom knows, when these words go forth, if they're really from the Lord, he knows that. And he's going to try to set up like a resistance against that, okay? So this tonight also, even though anybody can hear this sermon and be encouraged by it because it's this, the word of the Lord, um, in many ways, though, this is going to really center in on River of Life. And I want to share with you guys something concerning the word of the Lord over this ministry. So when God moved us here, I was when we started out in the Rockwall area, I was praying about what to do from there. <coughs> 
And way back then, Brother Holt had come and he had shared with me. He said, I see you going from here to a shopping center. And he described the place that we would be. And then from there to the next place. And he gave me different prophetic words, okay? But I was asking the Lord back then, where, where are we supposed to go? And as I prayed about it, God showed me. As I'm sharing this for a reason. Because you have to get the word of the Lord. Because many times we don't know exactly how to pray unless God shows us, you see. And so I was asking the Lord about it. And I, he gave me this vision. It was really interesting of like a Julius Caesar type person. But they had that what's called a garland around their head right here. And so I knew the word garland came to me. And so I knew at one point in time we would end up here. But this was back before we... This wasn't even in the option at the time of being here. There wasn't a door open. See, God has to open a door. And so we began to pray about it, and God opened a door for us to come in here. And he opened a special door for those that were with us at the time where we connected with another really powerful ministry. And I felt that God had kind of released like a mantling or something from that time into where we are now. So anyway, there's been around a seven-year uh, time frame that God's been doing a deep work. And when we got here to Garland, I began to ask the Lord about what are you wanting to do? And God laid on my heart to really put an emphasis on prayer. And we began to really buckle down in prayer. And I don't plan on that ever stopping because I believe that prayer is important for the church. Okay. It's not just about some specific thing. Prayer needs to be in the church because we need to benefit from those powerful prayers. So that's one thing God really spoke to me. The other thing God spoke to me was to begin these conferences. So y'all remember back, we've had some wonderful speakers come through. I remember Lyndall Cooley was with us for one, and, and John Davis, and there was Sergio Scataglini. And we've had some amazing anointed speakers. And I made up my mind that the conferences, the intent of the conferences was not what may be the intent of some conferences that are out there about just drawing numbers. So I wasn't trying to get famous people in a big place and just trying to get people. That wasn't my intent. I really felt like the Lord wanted to bring in really anointed speakers, and then he was going to bring us together with others that would join us, and they would be a significant move of the Holy Spirit. They would be an impartation that would prepare us for something in front of us. Okay, so the conferences were intended to be preparation. And so we began those, and they, they were really powerful. And so around a seven-year period, what God showed me was this, and some of you may remember this, but he showed me that there would be a process. You guys remember last week. Now, you need to just memorize the process from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. You might as well just commit that to memory because you're going to have that like a circle going in your life the rest of your life. And not only that, churches go through this. You have, as long as you're going to go after God, but if you're just going to camp out at Gilgal and live spiritually dead, then hey, that's going to be your life, then that's your choice. But if you're really going to go after God, then God's going to take you through where you have to leave where you are spiritually, leave something behind then you're going to go to Bethel where you receive something fresh from the Lord, a move of God, and God begins to speak to you. He begins to blow into your life. And then you're going to go right after that to a Jericho time of spiritual warfare where the devil's going to try to stop what God's doing. 
And you cannot go backward. You've got to go forward. And if you will go forward through the warfare and get on the other side of it, then you will cross the Jordan. And that'll be a place where you really receive something from God you did not have before. But you're going to have to leave Gilgal. And so that's a process. I learned that back in the 90s, and I've seen it over and over. So when we got here, we went through seven years where God's been preparing us. And during this time of preparation, the Lord spoke to me about a scripture in Isaiah, which calls it a two-leaf gate. And what that is, it's a reference to the heavens being open overhead. How many remember us talking about that? We talked about the heavens being brass. We talked about the spiritual warfare over our region. And I remember back then as I talked a little bit about this and the intercessors would be praying and they kept seeing that we were coming up against something in the heavens that was trying to be difficult. But as we kept praying, God was moving things out of the way and it was thinning the heavens out. And then the Lord spoke. There was three things he told me. One was we were going to be contending with this two-leaf gate. The second thing he said was this. There would be a deep consecration through the Jordan. And I remember teaching on that. I talked about how going through the Red Sea and through the Jordan is symbolic of baptism. But it has to do with consecrating your life unto God. And I knew that God was putting us on a journey where we were going to begin to be sanctified deeply in him. And it would be a process. How many knows that that can be a process? And so I, at the time, I was practically saying, how do we do this? And the Lord began to show me that as we had times of prayer and fasting, and how many remember me talking about this, that these seasons of prayer and fasting, and as, as we were looking at the Moedim at the time, which is the feast times, and we were fasting, that it was helping to purge the gates. How many remember those days? We were talking about that. And we were sitting there really pressing into God. And we had times where we would fast as a church and pray. And we would confess our sins and repent and deal with things. And we had deep consecration services. And as people really pressed into God, you know what I saw? I saw God doing a deep work in people. And God began to cleanse people. And we always made available at those times, a couple times a year, that people could be water immersed if they want to. And people become. And, and, and I'm telling you, it was a deep cleansing God was doing. It was a preparation. And so the things God spoke to me about the two-leaf gate, the heavens are more open right now than they've ever been over this ministry. Number two, we're in a place of being more deeply consecrated under God today than we've ever been before as a church, individually and corporately. And number three, he told me that we would be going deeper into the Holy of Holies beyond the veil. And I believe that whenever we've had these times of conferences, that God has been taking us deeper in the Holy of Holies. How many would honestly say, not hyped up in a sermon, but honestly say, Pastor, this last conference, I felt that we went deeper in the Holy of Holies than we've been. I would say I experienced that. And Brother Ralph told me that he experienced that. And so that's been the three things that God has been doing over his last couple years. He said that the heavens would be opening more, that we would be deeply consecrated, and number three, that we would go deeper in the Holy of Holies. And so that's been a process. And it's just like the Gilgal to Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan is this cycle that God has been taking us through a process where he's been opening the heavens more and more over time. 
we've been deeply consecrated more deeply over time, and the glory has been increasing over time. But it's been a process. This isn't something that you can just see overnight. It has to be done as a process. And so that's number one, the years of preparation. How many have been here long enough to know what I'm talking about? Because you could look back 10 years ago, whenever things were a certain way, and we've had a whole different group of people. I mean, God has had people that he's brought in and people that he's, some of them he's had to move on. But we've had a whole different group and, and we've been in different places and, and God's had this process going for over a period of time. But now you can see that these things are coming to fruition. And that's what I really felt when I went to Cambridge and I sought the Lord just kind of going off by myself in prayer is I felt the Lord say to me, he's about to open a door. And then he brought back to my remembrance what he had told me years ago and that that process is coming to a completion, that it's been a process that was necessary and it's coming to a completion. And so then the Lord began to deal with me about recalling the prophecies that were legitimately given to us over this ministry. One is that back years ago, now, remember, this was from Brother Holt, okay? And again, this is for our church. So, I mean, people hearing this, I mean, some of it may not apply to you directly, but it, it may encourage you to think about, okay, what about the prophecies over my life and, or my ministry? But God had spoken to me back then, and he used Brother Holt in this particular case. He said that you'll go from here to the next place. And I remember even when he came and preached for us a few years ago, I was sitting back there, and I remember him looking at me and him reminding me, you remember I told you you would go from where you are to a shopping center to this place, and then you go from here to the next place. And that's how I remember. And so we're in the midst of that being fulfilled, and there's still something to come in that. But God has another place, and we're going into that place. Because he told me we were coming here. This was years before we got here. Something had to open. I remember when it opened, the Lord opened a door and we came into this region, and it was a divine appointment, but God had to open that door. In the same way, when we go from here to the next place, I'm not sure where it is, but I've already told the Lord, and I meant it, I'm going where he wants to move. I don't care where it is. And, it, you know, I think that people in River of Life, I think that they would go with me. But you never really know where we're going. And some people may not like where you're going. But if God's going to pour out his spirit and there's going to be a harvest of souls, I don't care where it is. I don't care what it looks like. And I don't care the people group he sends me to. I'm going. And so there's going to be a place that he has. And with that place, Brother Holt said, when you go from here to the next place, he said that you're going to see as supernatural harvest of souls, a move of the Holy Spirit that'll be very intense and it'll be connected to the end times, like end time prophecy. And then he said that I see also the glory getting so thick that it would produce healings and miracles. And he's told me, he said, I even see like creative miracles, like things you read about in the Bible, where for example, he said, somebody that's missing a finger and it grows out, things like that. He said, there'll be even creative miracles in this glory. And so he also said you've been facing tremendous warfare, but he said that deliverance will be complete and there will be a jubilee around the corner. And that's coming, I'm telling you. 
We're at a time where God's about to do it. And just like an open door brought us into this season, there's about to be an open door that takes us into that season. And then God spoke to us. I remember back years ago, there was a, a minister, and I was at, I think it was 2009, if I remember right. But this minister, it might have been something like actually 2011-12, I can't remember now. It doesn't matter. But he was praying for me, and he said this. He said, don't worry about finances because the goal follows the glory. He said, when do you get to where you're going? Everybody say, where you're going. He said, there'll be a bag of gold waiting there. So in other words, God will have deposited something there to tap into for that season. How many knows where God leads you, there's provision? And so when, you, when we get to where we're going, there's going to be provision there for the days ahead. And then also, I'll never forget that I was told this as well, that there would be an effectual door. There would be an open door which is a revival. And I remember back then, that's what began the whole process. You know, this last conference, I preached that sermon in open door. I had more people come up to me about that and talk to me about it. But here's the truth about that sermon. That wasn't really a sermon so much as that was a process of God teaching me something over several years about him opening a door. And I studied out book of Acts chapter 19 and how the church of Ephesus was birthed in the fires of revival. That whole sermon... But here's what that Paul called that an effectual door. Or some translations, a wide door, a wide effective door. But it had to do with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a harvest. That took place for two years, mind you, under Paul. But the Lord reminded me of that whenever I was seeking the Lord at Cambridge. He said, there's about to be an open door. How many knows that God can open a door no man can shut? And so there's about to be... It's something open that produces a revival and a harvest of souls that only God can do. And I think many times people get discouraged because things are not overnight. And people many times forget about words. They, they stop praying them through. But I think about the word of God, how many times God would give people a prophecy and many times it didn't happen anytime soon. Sometimes it took several years for it to come to pass. Other times it was relatively quickly. I've had prophecies that have been pretty quick. I remember Brother Benny was with us a few years ago, and he told me there's about to be some really fruitful relationships God brings into your life. And it wasn't long after that until God brought me and John Davis together. You see, that happened quick. But there's other things that I've been told that hasn't even happened yet, but it will. And so things have, sometimes things take time, other times it's quick, but you have to stand on the word of God in faith that God is doing what he said he's going to do. And again, the Lord said that there would be a glory coming in that's so thick it will produce healing and health. That is an encouraging word, isn't it? And I want you to believe with me for that to be fulfilled soon because I felt the glory starting to come in even now really thick and i'm believing for healing and health to start opening up like never before i mean there's been healings and miracles but i'm believing for a whole nother level and then of course the clearing away of any final enemy there's been some stubborn things that that have wanted to resist these prophecies that god would finish the deliverance that whatever's been set up against this ministry this destiny that god will clear it out 
And I have a sneaky feeling that God's going to send his angels to wipe that out. I mean, just remove it. And then there will be, as I've been told more than once, there's going to be a restoration. I've had at least three different people tell me, I see that there's a coming restoration. Brother Benny said a sevenfold restoration. Brother Holt told me it's a jubilee. But regardless, when God comes, he will clear away the enemy, and then he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. So here's what I feel. I don't think this is just going to be a revival. I think that it's also going to be a restoration. I believe it's going to be a restoration for people on a personal level. I believe it's going to be a restoration for this church. But I also believe the Bible says in Isaiah 58 that if we pray and fast, and we have been, that through us we will be among those. There will be others that God will use to restore ancient ruins. I believe we will be a part of a process of God restoring back to this region and maybe even to this nation some things the devil has stolen. But it's going to be something God has to do. How many knows that this is bigger than us? Amen. And there's going to be not just us. I believe there's going to be several other places that are used of the Lord. So how are we going to see all these things come to pass? This is basically, in a nutshell, things that God has said over this church that's going to happen. And it will. And the devil has been fighting it tooth and nail, but he's, he's never been able to prevail. The devil has tried multiple times in different ways to destroy this ministry. He has raised up enemies. Um, I, there's things y'all don't even know about I've had to deal with. He, he's tried to attack my wife. He's tried to attack our health. He's tried to attack the finances. He's tried to attack relationships. He's tried to cause all kinds of problems. But yet, through all of that, we're still here. And we're seeing a greater move of God right now than ever before. And I believe the restoration has already begun and the revival has already kind of begun in an in-house way. Like here, there's already something that's begun. In fact, I believe this. I wouldn't just say this like hype or something. But I really believe that what happened at Asbury was a sign that something kind of has already begun. But you know how when it very first starts to rain... You know, you smell the rain, you see the clouds, and you, the first couple raindrops, I think that's where we're at. It's just the, the beginning. But something has shifted, and I feel it in our church. I feel like something has begun. And even a few years ago, God spoke to me, it's time to start seeing these things come to pass. And so I started preaching that, and, and the Lord spoke to me later, and he said, it would be this way, and I have to be careful because some of this is rather personal, but he told me it would begin even in my family. And some of you are aware of current circumstances that God has answered some prayers and fulfilled prophecies that have been years to take place, and it's already begun, and it's happening as I stand here in this pulpit. And he said this to, to my wife and I before that even happened. He said it'll begin there, and then it will go to your church. And it will happen in the church. And so we're already starting to see some things. So just to encourage you about the difference between faith and hope. So faith is a now thing. And faith many times has a voice of, I thank you, Lord, that it is happening. You see, that's faith. But let me show you the difference. Because hope says this. Well, I hope it will happen one day. And there's nothing wrong with hope. But hope is just simply not faith. What hope does to people, it causes people to live very frustrated 
because have you ever seen that where you have like the stick and then there's a little carrot in front and the person's just going toward the carrot but they never get the carrot that's what hope does to people they live their life hoping for the carrot but they never actually get the carrot hope is good in many ways though because it it ministers to the emotions and you do need to have hope about things but there's also things that you need to have faith about that faith says i thank you lord it is happening not that it will but it is i don't see all of it yet i'm not holding all of it but it's still happening and when you really have faith it creates a substance and that substance is there until it is replaced with the reality of the answer prayer and so you have to stay in faith and I think sometimes one of the problems people have is, and the reason might maybe why they're kind of up and down emotionally and all that, is because they stay in the realm of hope, and many times they, they're frustrated and they're emotionally up and down. But when you get out of that realm, which is in the mind and even in the emotions, and you get deeper and you get in, anchored in faith, faith is different. When you're in faith, it's okay that you're not seeing it yet because it's still happening. And you'll see the fullness of it eventually. And how many times have we seen uh, through the scriptures faith in, played out in people's lives that you knew eventually they were in faith that eventually they were going to see things happen. You see, I'll give you one example and then let's move on from it. But I think about the walls of Jericho. You know, God spoke to Joshua, here's what I want you to have the people do to march around the wall. But they didn't march around the wall thinking, well, I hope one day that this could possibly happen. They marched around the wall on that last day seven times saying to themselves, these walls are coming down to today. And they blew that shofar and they shouted. They had faith. and got, got, I mean, those walls collapsed in front of them. And so there's a faith. But they had to stay in faith through it. You know, they're marching around that city one time, and they could have gotten discouraged and gave up. But they marched around it a second time and a third time. You see what I'm saying? They stayed in faith all the way until they took that city. And that city was a tithe. God made them not take any of the silver and gold. It belonged to him. It was a tithe. And then from that point, once they gave God that city like a first fruits, like a tithe, then God gave them Canaan. They began to conquer it. And so we have to thank the Lord. We have to stay in that place. You know, for example, my wife and I many times have had to believe God for things that we weren't seeing yet. But the mentality has to be one of connecting to your faith and saying this, Lord, I thank you that these things are happening. I don't necessarily see all of it yet. I may not feel all of it yet, but I'm in the realm of faith, and I thank you, Lord, that it is happening. And it's important that you have faith, in your, but you're speaking that out loud because the Bible says to do that. It says that you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth. And then it says, then the mountains will move. Sometimes mountains move gradually. And I think that a lot of times people... You know, that's why the Bible talks about the faith of a child. There was some kind of a true story where I don't remember the details, but I remember a missionary telling it. It really encouraged me at the time. But there was children that had an orphanage, and there was this big 
like a literal mountain. It was like this dirt that was blocking something. And they, they were reading, somebody was reading them the Bible. And these children just simply heard the Bible that if you really pray and believe that God will move mountains. And the teacher was saying, well, because they were like, there's a mountain and we're going to, and the teacher was like, see what happens. I just asked this question. What happens to us as we stop being children and we grow up? Why do we lose our faith? Just tell little kids, just read them a Bible and tell them if you lay hands on people, God will heal them. Let them loose and watch all the healings and testimonies that come. Because the missionary said the teacher was going, well, now, guys, you know, I don't want you to get your hope up and get disappointed. And the children were like, well, Jesus said that if we pray, he'll move that mountain. So they just prayed and believed. And did you know bulldozers showed up and moved that thing? It's a true story. A missionary was telling it, and it, it so increased the faith of that teacher and he thought to himself wow you know children that really prayed and believed god actually moved a literal mountain for them these things are only hindered by us not really truly believing we get out of faith and we get in the realm of hope and so again god requires things of us at Gilgal, remember Gilgal was where they were circumcised? How many knows that that would not be something fun to go through? So you get to Gilgal, and here's what God does in Gilgal. He says this. There's a problem in your life, and you've been a certain way. I don't like this in you. We need to cut this out of you now. And you say, ouch. But then you say, Lord, I lay it on the altar, cut it out of me. I don't care how uncomfortable it is. You know what you're doing? You're beginning the process of leaving your Gilgal. And then God begins to cut that out of you, and you begin to move into Bethel where you start encountering a new move of the Lord that you didn't have before. But then the enemy is going to rise up and say, we can't have that. We've got to stop this now, and you're going to sense resistance. But if you'll plow through the resistance, you'll end up in Jordan where the Lord says, now there's a new move, a new anointing, a new calling, a new thing I'm doing in your life now that I could not do before until I took you to Gilgal and cut that out of you. So this process is there our whole lives. And I think that we're a work in progress the rest of our lives. I don't think that we're ever going to get to the place where we're like, I have arrived. You know, if anybody might could have said that, maybe Paul could. But Paul said this. He said, I have not reached that high calling yet. But I've learned to forget what's behind. And I press in toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul lived his life dying to the flesh and leaving behind the old and forgetting all the past junk and moving into what God had for him. And so I want to leave this sermon with this warning. How I many knows that the devil wants to destabilize things? You know, God showed me years ago. In fact, the, let me say this again because we're talking about some prophetic things. The last time Brother Holt was here, one of the ways God uses him is very prophetically. And I really appreciate that about him. 
because that's a special gifting in his life that has proven to be very not only very accurate but when he moves in that it can be a little unnerving sometimes because it's just me and him and he'll start looking at me and I feel like he's looking through me and I'm thinking dear God he's reading my mail you know <laughs> what is he seeing about me now but he'll uh, you know it's always encouraging it's from the Lord but you know when somebody's really of the Lord here's here's how they're going to sound like Jesus now what did Jesus sound like Revelation 2 and 3 he says I see the good that you're doing yet I have this against you and then he says if you'll deal with it I want to bless you with this when somebody's really prophetic all of that is there isn't it all right so anyway brother Holt told me though when he was with us last a few years ago he told me this he says Scott listen he said you need to study the life of Gideon which I did back then because he said that what's about to happen is this there's even going to be a trimming down of a few more people but he said don't worry about it because with a group that you're going to have you're going to see a huge victory like Gideon like a major victory and so I said, all right, well, praise God. And then right after that, I mean, literally right after that, a trimming down took place. <laughs> People leave. But God knows what he's doing, amen? All right, so let me finish with this. Destabilizing. How many knows that the devil wants to destabilize? So I said all of that about the order and the unity part of it because that's the strength of River of Life is that there's people under authority and we're unified and as long as we're like that, the enemy has a very difficult time stopping what God wants to do. So what the devil wants, he wants to cause disorder and division. Which I'm going to talk more about these things next week and then the following week, Lord willing. And right now, tonight is more about the encouragement of what God said he's going to do. Okay? So here's some things. The devil wants to destabilize. Everybody say destabilize. Now, when the devil was circling Jesus' ministry, and he wanted to stop what Jesus was doing, okay? He was circling the ministry, and he was wanting to stop what Jesus was doing. So please look this way. Give me your best ear. Because here's what the devil was seeing. Now, if he had known by crucifying Christ he was, he was sealing his own defeat, he wouldn't have done it. We know that. But Jesus was being used of God. Y'all, please look this way and hear me. Jesus was being used of God so mightily, and Satan was so enraged that he was thinking to himself, how can I stop him? And so he began to circle Jesus' ministry, and what did he do? he found an open door in a man by the name of Judas. Uh, Judas was a disciple, and Jesus had picked him. But yet the Bible says about him that he had corrupt character and that he held the money of the ministry, so he was like a treasurer, but he stole from it for himself. And even John said this whenever Judas was griping about the fact that whenever somebody broke that that oil and anointed Jesus and the room smelled with the fragrance and Judas got mad about it and said couldn't that have been sold and given to the poor John said this he said he didn't say that because he cared about the poor he said that because he was mad about that waste of money in his mind it was a waste of money you see that money would have went in the treasury and then Judas could have stole it for himself you see 
So Satan found something in Judas. And he began to target that. And so whenever the chief priest met with Judas, what did they offer him? 30 pieces of silver, money. And Judas was willing to sell out Christ over money. And the Bible says that Satan entered Judas at Passover and Judas walked right out the door to go betray the Lord for money. So let me just say this. Be careful that there's nothing in you for the devil to exploit, whatever that is. It could be a tendency to be unforgiving. It could be a tendency uh, toward being maybe controlling or manipulative. Or it could be a tendency toward sexual lust. Or it could be something else. Whatever it is, because how many knows we all have a past? Right? And many people in the sound of my voice have a past that they've come out of some things, you see. You need to remember from whence you came, and you need to be careful because the devil knows all of our weaknesses. None of us are perfect. None of us are even close to being perfect. And the devil knows that we only stand by grace, and so we need to remain really humble. But ask the Lord to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in us, that we walk in holiness because the enemy is circling and looking for something he can find in someone. And once he entered Judas... The intent from Satan's perspective, granted that this was his ultimate defeat, but from Satan's perspective, I'm just going to tell you what he was thinking. I finally found a way in to Jesus' ministry to kill and destroy him and stop this ministry. Yet it played into the perfect plan of God, and we know it was his ultimate defeat. But nonetheless, Satan still uses that same tactic. He circles camps, and he looks to find a, a way in, and what he's looking for is a person that he can get into their life, and next thing you know, their personality changes, and they're doing stuff they normally wouldn't do, and they're used of the devil to bring a lot of destruction. So don't let it be you. I, you know, all of us examine ourselves. Please don't let it be me, Lord. All right, so Jeremiah 40 and 41, there was a man by the name of Gedaliah that was a, a governor, and once Babylon had plundered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, Nebuchadnezzar allowed Gedaliah to be like their leader. And somebody had warned him that there was going to be an assassination. But Gedaliah didn't take it seriously. He said, you, you don't speak what's right about this guy. And then next thing you know, Gedaliah was assassinated. So my point is this. We have to take the warnings of the Lord serious. Because there was true warnings that came to Gedaliah. He just didn't listen. So I'm going to give you some warnings tonight. I'm just going to read them off. And I want you to really think about these and pray about them. But number one is Leviathan's pride. Some people have never really dealt with pride, even though maybe they think they have. Because pride is very, very subtle. And through the years, I've known that just, you know, 30 years of ministry in different capacities, but I've seen this a lot. But pride really hinders people from ever really truly changing because it seems to create a stronghold in them where they never really change. And there, for example, it could be that they always want some kind of special attention from the pastors, the pastor and the pastor's wife. And if they don't get special attention and all their attention and, and all their time or this, that, and the other, they really get offended. 
because they have some kind of a pride issue and they think that they need to be treated differently or better than everybody else. They're always trying to worm their way into different things. They always need encouragement or some kind of pat on the back or recognition or they get offended. You see what I'm saying? It's these little things. You think, well, that sounds so little and so petty. It is. But it destroys entire churches. Because a lot of times when people get their little feelings hurt, they don't do what they're supposed to do and go talk to the pastor or talk to the person. They go shooting off their mouth about the pastor to somebody else. And the next thing you know, they're getting other people upset. And it creates all kinds of problems. Also, Leviathan's pride, but it leads to strife. It leads to disorder and division. And the intent is to destabilize. I wonder how many ministries out there through, excuse me, through the years have been used so powerfully of God, just really powerfully. But yet something came in and brought destruction and they never really recovered fully from it. And now they were at, say, a, a 95% at one time. Now their best is like a 40%. They just never got back up to where they were. The enemy slammed them and it brought destruction. The second thing to look out for is Jezebel's control. And this can come also through counterfeit revelation. Because people are always trying to give different words. And, and some things are really from the Lord. But there's other people that they have something else going on in their life. And it's not from the Lord. And their counterfeit revelation is more rooted in controlling you. And you have to discern that. And a Jezebel spirit is no joke. It is, it is a formidable enemy. Leviathan is a church splitter, but so is Jezebel. That spirit wants to destroy churches. Unfortunately, it traffics more in the intercessory kind of prophetic circles. And that type of group, for some reason, it just has an affinity there. But I do believe in intercessors, and I do believe in the prophetic ministry. But it seems like that spirit likes to attach itself there. And so you really have to have wisdom, amen? And then the next thing I would say is this. Be careful with a spirit of rejection. Everybody say rejection. A spirit of rejection will cause somebody to always feel offended. They get offended all the time about petty things. You're thinking, why are they mad? But it's just always something that they're upset about. And so this spirit of rejection, and you could, you could even say a spirit of offense, either one, causes so many problems because many times the person will move into unforgiveness, and then because of that, they're now slandering and gossiping and dividing. But it all starts with rejection. Feeling rejected when you're not rejected. Or taking it harder than you should, because you know, sometimes people have a bad day and sometimes people are rude. They're just in a bad mood. They woke up in a foul disposition. And you just can't get offended and you just give them, just let it go, you know, because the next time you see them, they're probably going to be okay. You might tell them next time you see them, hey, you were a real jerk last time I saw you, you know. <laughs> and then you'll both laugh about it. Instead of going off in a corner and being mad at them for days and soaking up and giving them the silent treatment and, and talking bad about them, instead of doing that, just let it go.
But everybody has bad days, you know? Just giving people grace. You know, people think that, that whether it's, uh, you know, a pastor or the intercessor or the worship leader, you really think that we don't have bad days? Everybody has a bad day. Everybody gets in a bad mood sometimes. Just let it go. Give each other grace. And then I think about also a religious spirit. This is a big one. And John Davis has told me many times, brother, I'm so proud of you for keeping it out of your church. But let me tell you, it has tried to come in the church multiple times. But a religious spirit, this is the manifestations of this spirit. It wants to debate you. Everybody say debate. You ever been around somebody that's always wanting to debate, argue? Is there really anything more annoying than that? When you're a pastor, you get these people. They got an iPad for Christmas. <laughs> now they have a Bible program. <laughs> so now they're a theologian, and they know more than you. And they're sending you their little emails and stuff. They want to argue with you about Scripture. I quit debating so long ago that I don't remember the date that I quit debating. I just don't mess with them. You're whatever. It's like if they think they're right, then whatever. Because even if they're not, they're probably still going to think they are. So it's religious spirit. Those that have a religious spirit want to debate you. It's the spirit of debating. And you can win an argument and still never win a soul to Christ. So witnessing is not debating. All right. And then also, and in fact, I believe this is in the Bible. Paul, when he was talking about quit arguing about these words and genealogies and, and things about legends and lore and all these different things, it, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it leads to ungodliness. He said, I believe he's saying there, quit debating and arguing and fighting about things because it leads to ungodliness. And then also a religious spirit will seek not only to debate what wants to control religious those that are religious spirit will want to control you and control the church they also are very critical they're very judgmental and they're very fault finding they will find a way to criticize you and what you're doing and how many knows that, that nobody's perfect so they're probably not going to have to look too long to find something to gripe about. But the truth is that that whole mentality is demonic. Hello? And God hasn't called us to sit around putting everybody under a microscope and trying to criticize. He's called us to pray for people. And then also the next couple one is the spirit of whoredoms. That's in the Bible. And it's a spirit of unfaithfulness. Now, this is dangerous because this spirit will cause people to be unfaithful to God Almighty. Next thing you know, they're backsliding and they're getting away from God. God may have just healed them. He might have done a major work in their life. Six months later, they're right back where they came from. Why? Unfaithfulness. They've, they're unfaithful to God. Also, that same spirit will cause adultery in marriages and they will also divide relationships where there should be loyalty. 
I mean, there's, it's a strange thing because I've seen this through the years where people kind of have a divided loyalty toward pastors and churches. I don't understand it really, but they'll never be really content and thankful for what they have. You know, for example, in a marriage, somebody that's unfaithful in a marriage, what's really the problem? They're not content and thankful with what they have. And next thing you know, they're trying to go outside the marriage. In the same way, in a church, you know, they're not content and thankful for what they have. And they're always trying to get some weird, unhealthy relationship out there with some other ministry or some other person. And it could very well be the spirit of whoredoms. But Judas was unfaithful to Christ. The spirit of whoredoms will cause idolatry, unfaithfulness, disloyalty. It'll cause backsliding and discontentment. And you better be careful with discontentment because the Bible warns very strongly about being a grumbler and a complainer. Grumblers are discontent, and it goes back to kind of a spirit of whoredoms, and they don't realize that. But it is connected to it. And if you read 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says be careful with that because God destroyed those that grumbled in the wilderness. He said he, he released the destroyer against them, which if you study that is death. They experience that. Uh, look, either way, I don't want to be a grumbler and a complainer. When I wake up in the morning, is everything in my life how I want it to be 100% all the time? No. But I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for my life, and I thank God for what he's done. I thank him every day for the provision in my life. I thank him for my family. I thank him for river of life. I'm thankful to the Lord. He knows that, and it's the truth. Does that mean everything's always great and wonderful and just going the way I want it to? No. But I'm thankful regardless. Because we all want testimonies, but nobody wants the test, you see. One guy has said, my philosophy is no pain, no pain, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so the last thing I would say is this, lying, deceiving, and seducing spirits. I'm just warning River of Life because we can right now look around this room and you don't, you don't see this, but in the spirit realm, there are angelic beings here that you don't see and you don't really think about it because you don't see them. But did you ever consider that there are forces that are demonic that are circling around saying, how can we stop this thing? These are real entities. They're out there. And so just be aware. So lying, deceiving, seducing spirits, this has to do with deception. Something lying to your mind, planting thoughts in there. And pretty soon, if you're not careful, it can grow and you move into deception. And it, it's a seducing thing because it pulls you away from what, where God has you. See, the devil, God will put you right in the center of his will, and he's doing a wonderful work in your life. And the devil says this, how can I get a crowbar and pry them out of that? And many times it can come in the form of deception. So just be aware of these different things because I sense God is on the move in a new way. 
I don't, I'm not saying this lightly because I, I try not to ever do this. I'm not saying this like hyping you up or just trying to encourage you. I believe that we're on a definite course of God doing what he said he's going to do. And after this conference, I believe that we have kind of been thrust upward to another level of the anointing and the glory. And things are beginning to open up. There's something new and fresh. And I believe we're moving all the more closer to things being fulfilled. And we've already seen some things fulfilled. And the enemy is circling the camp going, I don't want this to happen. So the two things we must do is stay in faith. Lord, I thank you that these things are happening. But number two, we have to be aware of the spiritual warfare that's trying to stop it. And if you get offended with somebody, if you're upset, if you get hurt feelings or whatever, just stop and think to yourself. Satan is trying to stop what God's doing here. Regardless of how I feel, I've got to remain under authority and unified with my brothers and sisters. I'm sure that whatever it is, I can go talk to them, and I'm sure that we can just work it out. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to keep the order and the unity because I don't want the devil trying to pry his way in here. If everybody has that attitude of humility, the devil is going to have a very hard time getting in. But see, it's pride that is the danger because I, I got to thinking about the Scripture now, close with this, I got to think about the scripture, but by pride comes contention. How many have ever had an argument with your spouse? If you're, if you're married and you're not raising your hand, the next question is, how many of you have lied in church? Okay, there we go. So, but how many of you have had a fight with your spouse? Okay, now if you be brutally honest, okay, everybody say brutally honest. Okay, as John Davis would say, judgment day honesty here. If you're going to be honest with God, okay, you, the truth is you and your spouse were probably, I'm right and you're wrong. Everybody, judgment day honesty here? Still to this day, though, you're thinking I really was right, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the wrong attitude. So the point is the Bible says, but by pride comes contention. So what would happen, because this, this is some free marriage counseling, okay? I could charge for this one. This is free stuff, y'all ready? What would happen, though, if both people would just stop and would just humble themselves? Everybody say, humble myself. Because you don't want to do it. I know you don't because you're flesh. But you would humble yourself and say, you know what? You could be right. I could be wrong. But look, either way, let's just pray together and let this thing go. If, if both parties would be humble like that, there would be very little fighting. But what happens is, is both people are in pride and think, I'm right. And then it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> because somebody's got to be wrong here. Both of you can't be right. But yet they both think they are. I've pastored for a while. Have y'all noticed that this comes from years of counseling? So whenever, whenever bold people think they're right and they're fighting until somebody is going to be a peacemaker, Jesus said, Jesus thought so highly of the peacemakers, he made sure that they were in the Bible with a promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, okay? And so if somebody can be a peacemaker and say, you know what, let's just 
forgive and let this go and basically throw water on the fire, man, blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. And so God is looking for that. And the same thing in the church. Whenever you have people saying, I'm right, and they want to fight about everything, it goes back to pride. If we're all walking in humility, then we all can honestly say this. How many can say we're all in the presence of God here? How many can say, you know what, I'm not always right? I know that I'm not. Okay, everybody better be waving at me. I'm not the only humble person here, right? All right, so say I'm not always right about everything. And there's times that I actually, my opinion could be wrong. And if everybody walk in humility, then whenever things come up, there's going to be a lot less fighting. So my, my request with you guys and before the Lord is, Lord, help us to walk in love and humility and as long as we're in love and humility and forgiveness and we're not going to harbor for unforgiveness, things like that, the enemy is not going to be able to cause the things he wants to do. He's going to be pushed back and restrained, okay? He's after unity. Remember this scripture, a kingdom divided can't stand. That's what he's after. He's after the unity, okay? So anyway, Lord, I thank you for this word tonight. I thank you for the prophecies that are being fulfilled. Some of them are fulfilled. Others were walking in it right now being fulfilled, and yet there's also some things that are about to happen. But either way, we thank you, Lord, that these words you've spoken over us are happening. It's moving forward. And I thank you, Lord, also for helping us to really walk in humility and love and forgiveness and not to harbor anything that we can maintain the order and the unity and really be a powerful weapon in the hands of our God. Because in the last days, Daniel said, those that know their God will do great exploits. Amen. So Lord, I thank you for it tonight. We bless you and let this be sealed in our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Wow. Listen, I want us to, uh, we're going to just pray for people for a few moments. Excuse me. Something's been trying to mess with my voice a little bit tonight. But I want to just pray for people just for a few moments. But I really feel that, River of Life, that these times of intercession are very important. Let me tell you, intercessors, you guys don't realize it, and it's a good thing that you don't because that's a way that God keeps people humble, right? But you intercessors are the key because you're praying in the Spirit what, what needs to be prayed for these things to be fulfilled. You don't realize it because many times you're praying in the spirit or you're in this deep travail and all you know is, is I'm just praying something through, but you don't understand. You're actually being used of God to push things forward. And, and I believe with all my heart these times that the Holy Spirit is moving like this in these altars or during prayer times is very significant for us because it's helping to push things through. So I want us to just put on some worship and we're going to go to a screen and we're going to pray for people. And I want the intercessors, just let God use you tonight, really get in the spirit and pray some things through tonight.